0: You are listening to another episode of the coaches circle podcast brought to you by lifecoachpath.com our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching wellness and mental health each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own for more information on who we are and what we do visit www.lifecoachpath.com and now, here's your host, Brandon Baker.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Nanika Core, a licensed clinical psychologist based in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Dr. Core. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I'm glad to be speaking to a neighbor of mine. I am in Manhattan. You're in Brooklyn, so... Uh, practically right next door. Um, yeah. And it's a topic that's that's definitely close to my heart, parenting. Um, so yeah, this, let's just give everybody a background as to who you are and the kind of work you do every day.
2: Yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist and also a respectful parenting therapist and a consultant. Um, I work with parents mainly around issues of... Um, problems in their relationship with their children, usually stemming from issues that the parent has from their own upbringing that are showing up in their relationship with their child. And um, most of the parents who come to me are really hoping to parent in a way that is um, very relationship-based and kind and respectful, and yet they're finding themselves yelling and bribing and shaming and doing all kinds of things that they really don't want to actually be doing, but they seem to keep popping up and they find themselves really triggered and not being able to live up to the standard of the kind of parent they actually want to be.
1: Right, right. And I mean, I think for anybody who is not yet a parent, um, it can be a little hard to understand how a parent might fall into the same habits and flaws and mistakes and limiting behaviors that their own parents did when when they were children. Yes. I mean, because it sounds as simple as can be. Well, do things differently when you're a parent. Um, but right. But then when you become a parent, you realize that children... Um, without trying to, of course, they don't really um, they don't mean any harm by it, but they they pose challenges to parents that are not easily solved <laughs> right by just simply being absolutely. Yeah, by just simply being kind and and um, relaxed. It's easier said than done. So I wanted to ask you for some examples of those negative behaviors. Um, you mm-hmm. know, what what are some of the most common, negative behaviors that parents uh, are trying to do away with and what kind of behaviors are you trying to replace those with most typically
2: Mm -hmm. um some of the most common ones are difficulty setting boundaries um different difficulty setting limits um in such a way that uh, a parent might uh say something uh like you know, stop jumping on the couch, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll say, stop jumping on the couch from across the room, right? They'll say (laughs) uh, to a three-year-old, stop jumping on the couch. And the child continues to jump. And they say, again, stop jumping on the couch. And all of a sudden they've said it 10 times, right? And now at time number 10 they're very very angry they're very upset they rush over to the child and sort of rip them off the couch and i told you not and they're all of a sudden now really angry and yelling at the child um and the child really is just being a 3 year old like that's what 3 year olds do right like that's just a developmentally normal thing that 3 year olds do and another way to deal with that would be to a walk over to the child and say hey you know jumping on the couch isn't okay let's bring you down from there, like physically taking the child down. It's if you wanna jump, here's here's a place that's okay to jump. Um, Sort of being calm, but also the very first time that you're asking, you're also making it happen, right? You're not waiting for a three-year-old to follow a direction. Um, you're sort of making the thing happen that you need to have, have have happen, and it's a lot about having confidence as a parent. That you know, I'm confident that if I come over there and am calm with you and let you know what the rules are and where the acceptable, where you can do the thing you want to do in an acceptable way, that this will all turn out fine. So it's really very a lot about the mindset that the parent has. A lot of times, um, the parents that I work with already feel like I'm not going to do this well. So before they even open their mouth, they're already anxious and worried that whatever I say is not going to be heeded by the child. It's going to be this big battle. So they're already sort of geared up for that. That's one thing that, um, that I work with when parents just being a little bit more confident and being um, taking more responsibility for the limits that you want to set. The idea is that you're an adult and that's a three-year-old. And if there's something you want to have happen in your home like you can have that happen you just have to actually make things happen yourself i think a lot of times we really wait we hope that children will be like just decide to do what we want um but they don't always do that developmentally a they're not able to they're too impulsive or they just just don't feel like it which is which is you know what i mean they're just different people i just don't want the same thing as you want in this moment um And that's fine. And there's negotiations that can happen. But I think um, what when parents can feel confident that the limits that they want to set are 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 logical and appropriate. I think sometimes also a lot of things that I deal with, too, are developmentally inappropriate expectations that parents have for children. Mm. And so they're expecting that a three year old can do what a seven year old can do. And so that they're often frustrated because why is my child doing this? Why aren't they doing that? And It's like, well, that's something a three-year-old can't do. Um, Not yet, anyway, developmentally. So it's having developmentally appropriate expectations, having confidence in, in yourself as the parent and also having calm, like embodying some calm. I think a lot of times we're so triggered by our child Many times when a child is doing something, for instance, like jumping on a couch, if that's something that I, as the parent, if I had done that when I was a child, I would have gotten in a lot of trouble for doing that. Sometimes those things can feel very triggering to a parent. If I would have gotten in trouble for doing what my child is doing right now, then it feels dangerous that the child is doing that. It feels like, well, that's something that can really get you into a lot of trouble, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of a sudden the child inside of a parent is reacting like that's dangerous. And then a a parent might be yelling or doing something that they later regret because it feels like an emergency internally. Um, And so when we can sort of talk to parents and I can um, get into what, what did you experience around this experience when you were young? How might your parents have handled this? What may have happened to you when you were three-year-olds and jumping on a couch? um, Sometimes we can end up untangling those knots there. I see, like, I'm not really um, I'm not really responding or reacting to what my child is doing as much as I'm reacting to something that happened to me when I was young. Right. So I think that untangling those knots for parents is a lot of the work that I do. Um, understanding that, you know, what's happening between you and your child is not what's hap- what happened between you and your own parent. Those are two different, different things, different times, different human beings involved. Um, and so I think a lot of us as parents are unconsciously um, reacting and responding from a place of a different relationship.
1: Absolutely. Um, and so you're you're talking about a three-year-old jumping on the couch, and I'm, of course, imagining mm-hmm. my three-year-old and my couch, and because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I have both of those things. And so <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so I I think, and I I've spent a lot of time thinking about this actually, um, and in my own life, and I, I think you described it beautifully. The how there is an incongruence between the reality that the child is living in and the reality that the parent is living in. Because yes, if you if you absolutely. tell if you tell your child not to jump on the couch, because I I think citing a specific example is much more illuminating than just talking in generality. So just thinking about this mm-hmm. th- this example of, of the jumping on the couch, as a child, the first nine times being reminded to not jump on the couch. It did not register anything. Like it's as if your parent was (laughs) just talking about the weather. It didn't register a single thing. It's only the 10th time when the anger came out. That's the only time Mm -hmm. anything registered. And so as a child, what you're the, the reality you're living in is that, oh, man, like my my mom, you know, gets so mad at me. And like Mm -hmm. and of course, I mean, as a three year old, maybe you're not thinking about it quite so quite so lucidly. But as you get older, it definitely becomes more of a conscious thing. Like, you know, at some point, even you might begin to say, I don't want this relationship with my children when I get older. So, um, yes, you're only really taking in that 10th time versus as a parent. The first time you say it, you might be thinking to yourself. Okay, I'm going to be calm and patient. I'm going to be the parent that That's right. I never had, right? Um yep. a- and so of course though, if you actually go back 30 years, it might be the case that their parent actually did say it calmly the first 10 the first 9 times as well, <laughs> right. but they didn't register right. that, right? And so um mm-hmm. so you're going through stages just through those first you know, the first time, the second time, the third time saying it, and then of course you blow up at the end. And so it's a different reality, yes. and I think I think that is. I mean, I, I'm not a therapist, but I would have to imagine that that incongruence is a huge, huge reason why um, parents and children struggle so much. Um,
2: yeah, 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 absolutely. And and those that first time when you're asking the child the very first time, you are in that place of calm. You are you you are maybe not so angry yet, right? And, and that's where I usually advise parents to like, set your limits in that space where you're not really very angry. So that's the time to walk over and calmly get your child off the couch and calmly direct them to another activity or another place to jump, which is actually the ideal thing. If your child feels like jumping, where can they jump? Where is it, where is it acceptable for them to jump? Um, so it's sort of working. How can you work with your child, but in ways that work for both of you? how can your child get to jump and also not on your couch, right? Right. So, um, so it's sort of coming up with those ideas too, but I'm always sort of, if you're setting a limit when you're at a nine of anger, then it always is going to come off very, it's always going to be a lot messier and you're going to be more frustrated. The child will resist more. Um, And when you're able to be in the calm space and, if you're really doing well, right, if you're really in a great place bandwidth-wise, maybe even in a playful way, um, then it's diffusing a lot of the energy of that setting of that limit. It's diffusing a lot of the conflict that would happen in setting that limit. So there's a lot of sort of proactive things that parents can do in terms of taking care of themselves. That's a huge part of what I talk about with parents, because it's very, very difficult to be respectful and kind with, with children who are button pushing when you your bandwidth is really low, which is a huge thing right now because of COVID, of course, um, of course, that most parents have really low bandwidth right now. So it's really, really hard. So it's, yeah. it's really, you know, really about sort of holding some space for parents right now, because who's holding the space for them while they're trying to hold the space for their children who are also freaking out. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's really intense right now.
1: Well, that's why I find your angle, so interesting because nine out of 10, at least from what I've seen, nine out of 10 therapists that do ultimately focus on children's behavior in some way actually coach the young child or the adolescent themselves. It's usually adolescents, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's the age group that can handle coaching in the first place. Um, It's not Mm -hmm. so often that you find the therapist that coaches or that works works with the parent instead of the child. And so mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting angle. You're kind of going top down. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I think it's just a lesson for anybody looking to get into therapy or coaching your, your mm-hmm. niche, your angle doesn't have to be kind of what everybody else is doing. It can be, you can tackle, oh, absolutely the, yeah, you, you can tackle the same sorts of issues, but perhaps go at it a bit of a different way. Um, you know, like, absolutely. Yeah, like I, I just interviewed a, a millennial uh, coach slash therapist. And so you could have gone about it a different way. You could have said, I'm a dating coach or I'm a, um, I'm a therapist yeah. that only focuses on on dating and relationships. But, you know, hoping maybe you would catch that age group. But no, I mean, she went and specifically defined her niche as millennials. And so there's a million different ways that you can craft that niche to fit the work you want to do. Um, Absolutely.
2: You know, yeah. And that's, um, I, I certainly, when I was building my practice, um, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, pushback that I received from many colleagues um, about uh, being too specialized, you know, only specializing in parents is something that is going to harm you in your business. Um, and, um, you know, you need to be more general and, you know, uh, open, sort of uh, ha- cast a wider net Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, not only was I really interested in working with parents and, and as it turns out, you know, you, people come into the office for parenting, but ultimately, usually if they're coming into therapy around parenting, they've got a lot of other things going on. And so, you know, you do have, you end up having a diversity of issues anyway, um, even though parenting is the umbrella under which these things fall. Um, but you know, it was really sticking to my guns and saying, you know, like, this is a niche that I'm really interested in. And these are the people that I really am wanting to help. And, um, and, you know, we, you know, if we're talking about the difference between like coaching and therapy, in some ways, um, there are plenty of parent coaches out there, you know, there's many people that my clients could go to instead, if they just want to work on parenting very specifically. Um, <clears throat> because parent coaching is a little bit different than what I do in terms of, um, therapeutically going into the issues, right? Like coaching is a lot about, you know, holding people accountable and mm-hmm. challenging our ideas and helping people translate their ideas into action and application, right? Um, and there's some of that um, in the work that I do, but a lot of it is, is really working on emotional regulation, really trying to keep people in that Um, from getting to a nine in anger, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. what can you do proactively so that you're never really up there in the nines and tens, right? Um, That you are much more regulated than that. Um, And what's going on with you, the parent that we can be working on that helps you show up in parenting spaces in a much calmer space internally. Um, and, um, And what do we need to sort of work on from like wounds that maybe you're still carrying that were never healed before that are really showing up in this relationship with your child. Um, And and those kinds of things are are not as easily touched by coaching. Um, Usually people who are really do well with coaching are people who are, um, you know, pretty high functioning. You know, they're not dealing with some kind of psychological issue um, that is standing in the way of them and their goals necessarily. Yeah, yeah. and so it's more, much more of a, a behavioral thing, perhaps, or you know, an organizational, uh, organizational, or um, or just you know, someone who is like uh, I'm really I'm good at like thinking of abstract ideas, but I'm not so great at putting them into action, right? Um, and there's a little bit. More, it's more in depth. Of the work that I do it really does t- touch much more on that inner child piece.
1: Absolutely. Um, I. I yeah. And actually, thank you for bringing that up because that. Those boundaries between coaching and therapy is one of the central themes of the show. And obviously, there's tons Mm -hmm. of parent coaches out there. And um, anybody listening to the show that's considering getting into this niche, I think, um, I mean, I, I think that really is the point of the discussion to decide if they want to go the therapy route, the coaching route, and also plenty of therapists combine both methods. I mean, you yourself have shared absolutely. that yes. coaching is a part of your yes. work, right? And in fact, yes, a, lot of, a lot of therapists use coaching, even though they'll tell you they, they don't, they're not coaches, but they actually use coaching every single day. So you don't even have yes. to call it coaching, but you can incorporate it into, into your everyday practice.
2: Yeah. I mean, I while I do depth work, absolutely. And insight oriented work um there is absolutely parents are absolutely coming to me for practical strategies of how to handle you know how to tackle some Mm -hmm. issue in their home and and so i i absolutely offer those things um, at the same time but um usually it's for the people who come to me you know it's it's not about like here go home and say these words to your child and everything will be different because a lot of what um a parent was actually just saying this to me now, the, this idea of, you know, I can say all the words, I can say all the right words that um, that I know parents are supposed to say who want to be kind and respectful. At the same time, like they're not feeling those things internally. They're like parroting a script and a child responds to the actual feelings you're having, not so much the words you're saying. Right. Um, and so that's where the work that I'm doing is I'm I'm really trying to help parents show up with the feeling of kindness and respect, not just the words um, yeah. of kindness and respect, right?
1: Right. And actually, so that that brings me to, I guess, maybe a, a difficult question that maybe therapists or coaches hope they don't have to eventually face, which is, I guess, the simple way of putting it is, what do you do when kind of nothing's working? So, for example, when it comes to the child, nothing is working other than anger. I mean, there are some children that s- seem to not respond to anything other than anger. Because like you said, they're responding to the feeling, not to the words. And the only feeling that gets them to to make any kind of change might be what they're used to before they approached you as a therapist, which is anger. And then what do you do, maybe on the flip side of that, with parents who maybe have children who would respond to more, you know, uh, appropriate kind of calm uh, behavior, but the parent themselves are not able to Bring them down. Bring themselves down to a one or a two. They can only get to that nine, and they mm-hmm. can't do anything about it. So, what do you do in those situations? Um, and have you encountered that before?
2: Oh, I have. Um, I have encountered that. I think usually those situations are involving a parent who has, um, you know, a lot more going on psychologically, um, a lot more um, trauma in their past, usually mm-hmm. of a relational nature. Um, and so it's it's really about doing much more in depth work uh, through around the trauma that they experienced as a child, and really moving away um, a little bit of about the child the parent child um, relationship until we sort of get the parent sort of more aligned and connected with themselves. Right, like it's sort of what's going on with you specifically, individually, and let's work on that for a little while and then let's move back into this space of like, let's see what we can do with this relationship with your child. So sometimes there's a lot more healing that a parent has to do just individually and working through a lot more of their own pain that's uh, in their own wounds and that have been unresolved that they've sort of carried forth into their adult life.
1: Right. And there's the benefit of that therapy background as well, because a coach, while a coach might attempt to get into the weeds a little bit into some of those deeper set issues, a therapist really is trained to do that look back, right? Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, anybody looking to to kind of, you know, dive deeper a bit into a client's history would be probably better served uh, with a therapy background as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. right. So you know, my, a coach like I have been. You know, I've had coaches refer to me. Right. People who are working with a parent in a coaching capacity, and they're thinking, you know, I think this this parent needs a higher level of care than I can provide. Yeah. Right. And so then they refer them to me, um, and you know, because coaching is really, you know, it, it sounds like it's um, there's much more around like the what, the when, the how, right? And with therapy, there's a lot more around the why, right? Um, and you know, like, why are these things happening? Why is this behavior showing up? Why, you know, why are you so triggered in this particular situation? Um, Where is that coming from? Can we look back? And I also use some like somatic techniques, so we're thinking about, you know, how does that land in your body? What does it feel like inside of you? Because a lot of times, a lot of us are being triggered not so much what's happening externally, but what's happening internally. We're responding to like our own beating heart or our own like rising temperature. Um, and um so looking more at those things um, with a little more depth is um, really helpful. And sometimes I've worked in tandem with a parent coach, um where you know the the coach is aligned in terms of our approach to parenting, and so the the parent is working with a coach around parenting and I'm working with a parent around, you know, therapeutic and psychological issues.
1: Right. Right. Perfect. Um, okay. I, I wanted to transition perhaps to our last topic, which is kind of a big one. Um, it's obviously the elephant in the room here regarding COVID and how COVID has, Changed practically everything, uh, but especially I would say in the particular niche you find yourself in, <laughs> because parents yeah. and children are now happily together at home, stuck. Um, and so oh, <laughs> <or boy>. some, <laughs> not so happily. And so, uh, I guess how has, how has COVID, um, impacted? So not only your practice and how you do your work, but how, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure it has. How has COVID impacted your clients and what are some of the most effective tools and kind of strategies that you found in helping parents cope with this new normal of having their children at home with them all day?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, what I'm seeing a lot of is just parents really at their wits end, like so tired, exhausted um, from, you know, doing their own, you know, parents and children didn't really spend this kind of time together every day. Like a child would be in their school setting or their care setting and the parent would be in their work setting. Um, and there would be a little bit of a separation between worlds. Um, and now there's no separation. Everything is running together. It's hard for parents to turn off their work brain at the end of the day because they're mm-hmm. sort of now home is a workplace. So that's difficult. So children are really responding to the fact that, Or reacting, I should say, to the fact that their parents are less available to them, even though they're always around. Um, So that's been bringing up a lot of conflict. I see my parent is there all the time, but they are unavailable to me because they are busy doing whatever they're doing. And that might be fine if you have a middle schooler or maybe even a late elementary schooler, but when you have a much younger child, you know, they really do demand a lot more attention. And so there's a lot more behaviors that we're seeing a lot more um you know when a ch- when a parent even you know pre-pandemic a parent has their phone out has a laptop out that's be like let me tip over so that my parent comes over here you know what I mean like
1: yeah yep. absolutely
2: really trying to be in relationship with the parent and it's really really difficult they need a lot of connection young children
1: kind of um, sounds like a power struggle and, for uh, attention I'm
2: that my internet is yeah, it is. And, and they deserve the attention. They need the attention developmentally. They really need a lot of it. And so it really be- presents this big conflict. Um, so some parents are getting very angry, right? Because they're um, like, can't you see, I have to work kind of mm-hmm. mindset. And it's like, well, a three-year-old cannot see that. They don't care about that at all. <laughs> they don't, they don't understand anything about that. Um, they just are like, you're my parent come and hang out with me. And, um, so some parents are sort of frustrated and angry. Some parents are just feeling so guilty. Like, I know they need me. I can't be there. I can't lose my job. They feel very torn. Um, so there's a lot of big feelings on everybody's end. Parents are sort of stressed, you know, frustrated, guilty. Children are wanting attention, maybe not being able to get it. They have lost out on a lot of things. The children themselves, you know, if they had been to school before or were in care before um and having lost all of those connections um, has been really difficult for them and a lot of kids have been you know just acting out in general so a parent dealing with behaviors they hadn't seen before the pandemic and on top of the the working from home and the being together all the time and potentially strained relationships it's been a lot it's been it's been many layered. Um, it's been nice I think that um parents have been a- been seeking me out in a different way because they're at home and because there aren't let's say um you know commuting issues or location issues yeah. that um that that has actually made it easier for parents to seek help um in some ways. Um Right. Although it sometimes can be difficult if the child is at home at the same time. So, you know, I mean, there's lots of different um, ways that parents are making it happen in terms of having their sessions. Um, they're getting really creative. I, we all have to be creative right now. Um, but I think it's really, it's really been intense. And I I, just, I have a lot of empathy for everybody who's going through all the different things they're going through, um, especially you know, single parents. It's really, really tough to, be, to have no, no one helping you wrangle You know, all of the different moving parts of being at home with your child almost all the time. And um, I also want to just really, really difficult.
1: Yeah, I I didn't want to cut you off, but I I just wanted to quickly mention that um, single parents obviously have it the toughest without a doubt. Um, But there is, I think, a a large segment of the parenting population where it's not a single parent, perhaps, but one of the parents, whether it's it's, you know, either one, really, it could be working all day and yeah. the other parent isn't a single parent like technically mm-hmm. but by the time the mm-hmm. other parent comes home or maybe the other parent is home the whole day but is just exhausted at the end of the day um it's effectively like a single parent yeah. household and so that is kind of the the group that sometimes maybe gets forgotten but in practice it is essentially single parenting in a lot of ways yes and um absolutely Yeah. So in the time we have left, which is like two minutes, I just wanted to know what were some of the most effective techniques and strategies that you found in COVID for parents to kind of get their Mm -hmm. bearings a little bit.
2: Most of it is just around self-care and like mindfulness, um, being able to slow yourself down. Um, That's really a parent's... uh, greatest tool in any moment, right? When they're feeling, when the parent themselves is feeling really overwhelmed is to be able to slow down and take a moment before you respond or react to anything. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're feeling keyed up yourself to be able to stop and take a breath before you say something, then you have a little bit more space between yourself and a reaction you might regret. And, um, you know, in order to do that, you know, just carving out some time for self-care. And when I say self-care, I mean, like, sometimes it could be as simple as can you walk around the block? Can you take a shower for 10 minutes? Like, yeah. that's can be self-care. Can you go into the bathroom and close the door for five minutes and just breathe? You know, like, even just taking any little pocket of time for yourself to recharge and reset is really, really helpful. And another thing that I've been talking to parents about is seeking support and connection um, themselves, Um, you know, all of the, what's needed of them in terms of being a person who needs to provide resources for a home and provide emotional support for a child. um, They need all that emotional support themselves too. And I certainly try to give them that, but they need more than once a week support from a person. Um, And uh, so I really am stressing, you know, how can you shore up your support systems? How can you make sure that you get you know, your phone call in or your Zoom call in with, you know, your best friend or, you know, a walk with your friend, you know, something that, you know, really feeds yourself. Yeah. Um, it's really, really important for parents to take care of themselves in that way, in a in a connected way, like for parents to get other adult connection that feel supportive um, and so that they feel held and empathized with themselves in the same way that they hope to do for their child.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous with with all your information. Um, I think anybody looking to get into this field is going to get a lot out of this discussion. So it's, a, it's like I said, one that's close to my heart and probably a lot of parents out there who are listening as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just wanted to give you one last chance to tell everybody where they can find you online and how they can learn more about your work.
2: Yeah, um, you can find me at uh, brooklynparenttherapy.com, all one word. Um, you can also just Google my name, Nanika Um i uh, I am in Brooklyn. I'm working um, all remotely right now, but um, I am happy to take on any new families. Um, i I really love this work so much. It's really just such an honor to help parents and and children find more connection and closeness with each other, and a lot more, a lot more peace and less conflict. Um, so that's really what I'm about, and really what I love—love love helping parents around.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I, I can hear the love in in everything you've said. I can tell that it's a it's something that you care a lot about, which is ingredient number one when choosing a niche. So, <laughs> yeah, um, thank you so much for that, and I really appreciate your time today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It was great
0: to talk to you.
1: Okay. Talk soon. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.